This podcast is sponsored by ebookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at ebookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, one of the regular monthly sections of the Toastmaster magazine is a member profile where we get to know more about some of the incredible and almost seemingly impossible journeys and accomplishments of some of our members. Today, we'll be meeting a member profiled in the September 2023 issue. Ryan, who are we meeting today? Our guest today is Kelly Kaur, a Toastmaster for 15 years. Kelly grew up in Singapore. Today, she lives in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, where she teaches English at Mount Royal University. Kelly is a published author and poet. She recently curated an anthology of African art and writing for the International Human Rights Art Festival in New York City. Some of her works are on the Lunar Codex project. This is absolutely amazing. They're scheduled to launch to the moon. Her artwork is going to the moon in January with more scheduled to launch in November 2024. Can't wait to hear more about that. Kelly was nominated for the Top 25 Canadian Immigrant Awards given by Canadian Immigrant Magazine. Her first novel, Letters to Singapore, was published in May 2022. And her children's book, Howdy, I'm Harnam Singh Hari, about the first Sikh pioneer in Calgary, will be published in spring of 2024. Kelly Kaur, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Hello, Greg. Hello, Ryan. I am happy, ecstatic to be here. Thank you. Kelly, something I did not share in the opening that is part of your story and part of the member profile is that you became hooked on speech competitions. I'd love to just hear a little bit about that. What was the initial appeal of speech competitions for you? Absolutely. When I came to Calgary many, many years ago, I came from Singapore. Many people will be surprised to know that I did not speak up in class or say much. I just felt different. I just thought I didn't speak like a Canadian. So I kept silent. And then finally, when I joined Toastmasters and I saw and heard these incredible speeches, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, these people are taking the opportunity to say something and to speak up. Maybe I can as well. Then I started taking part in contests, first just for fun. They would say, we need people, people, put your hands up. And I did it just for the heck of it. And after a few times, when I won once or twice, I realized Maybe there is potential. I did not need to be so silent all these years. I I have a voice that should be heard for myself and then for others to also know that they can sound different. They don't have to sound like one type of stereotype that I had in my mind. I was lucky enough that I would win some of the contests. I lost many of them and that encouraged me to come back. And when I won them, It felt wonderful. It was so validating that I could have a voice to hear, to be heard, and that my stories were valid as well in the the avenue and, and place where people would come with stories from all over the world. A Singapore Canadian girl 
could also talk about her stories and be acknowledged on stage. So mm. I became an addict. And Kelly's too modest to say it, Greg, but you and I know that she actually made it all the way to the semifinals in 2017 of the International Speech Contest in Vancouver. Yes, I remember that. Absolutely. That was a wonderful, unforgettable day. When I took part in that contest, I was at the end of my patience, so to speak, saying, when do I stop? Should I stop? And my wonderful daughter, Tegan, who was 18 at that point, she said to me, why don't you just take part and deliver your message and be in the moment and enjoy yourself instead of wanting to win all the time? So I looked at her and I said, oh, thank you, Deepak Chopra. I mean, <laughs> why I think of that? And she says, when you go on stage, I want you to look at me and I'm going to give you the thumbs up. And I'm going to smile at you and I'm going to be so proud of you. And of course, I did all those things. And at the end, when they called my name out, I, I remember that feeling of looking at her and she said, I knew it. You did it, mom. And that was just the most wonderful moment in my Toastmasters experience. Kelly, it sounds like your daughter is the English teacher, but you're in fact an English teacher. You've got a master's degree. You're an accomplished author, and you have this elaborate vocabulary. Yet something that's interesting that came out in the article, and also I think it was also in an interview that I, I listened uh, that you were in, there's this one word that has had this powerful impact on you earlier in your life, and then again within Toastmasters, and that word is no. Simple the word no. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, my father hates that word. He's 90 <laughs> years old now, and he said to me, I don't know why you are so stubborn. And I said, perhaps because I'm like you. And when I was a young girl growing up in Singapore, in the tradition that I grew up in, arranged marriages were the expected norm. So I saw my sister get married at 22. Of course, my mother was had an arranged marriage at 16, my grandmother at 14, and all my cousins and I knew there was no way out. So I didn't pay much attention to school and just meandered along thinking, my turn next. And then when it happened, when the proposal started coming in when I was only 16, I decided that I had to say something. And it's ironic because I got the courage as well from reading books. And I remember Enid Blyton, and George, she was a stubborn little girl in that uh, stories. And she would say no a lot in many of the other books I read as well. And I thought, if I say no, the worst thing that could happen is my father would kill me, right? Maybe not. So when I said the word, he was horrified because no one else had said the word to him or dared to stand up to him. So I think he was half shocked and half impressed. And by saying no, I said no to arranged marriage. I said no to staying in Singapore. I said no to not getting an education. And of course, it's my favorite word now. And I find that it's an empowering word because it gives me the power to be who I need to be and who I want to be. 
And that's why I love this small little word, N-O. And yet you also said yes several times in your journey. And as we talked about, one thing you said yes to was competing in speech contests, but you also said yes to this dream of becoming a fiction writer, which you have now realized. There was something in your member profile that really caught my attention. It said that you credit your speeches with helping you realize that dream of becoming a fiction writer. I'd love for you to share for us, how did those two things connect? 100%. I didn't think much about being a writer because I would just dream about it. I say, when I get that house in Kenmore with the view of the mountains, then I would write. And everybody looked at me and said, fabulous, excuse us. So when I joined Toastmasters, I now realize, or realize then, that actually that's writing. I was writing nonfiction pieces. I would write about my father, about arranged marriages, about my experience with American person, men, Fred, that I met. By doing that, I established the foundation for writing. When I was accepted into this writing program for immigrant women, I used my Toastmasters as that credibility factor. And they were impressed. Thankfully, I said, I've written over 50 speeches. I've won contests. I've made it all the way to Vancouver. I was accepted. One of four people accepted into the program. And they found an amazing mentor for me and said, this woman can write. And I went home and I looked at my daughter and I said, now what the heck am I supposed to do? I've written speeches. Now I'm supposed to write something. And I had to find a bridge to get me from speeches to writing the novel. And luckily, I managed to do that successfully. Wow. Now, it's as if this isn't amazing enough. One of your pieces of writing is finding itself in a time capsule that will be traveling to outer space. Can you please tell us about that? Yes, It's an amazing, wonderful opportunity. It's one of my poems, A Singaporean's Love Affair. It's about an immigrant who comes to Canada and writes about, you know, what every Singaporean does and and talks about food. So by using that, I talked about homesickness and familiarity and how we feel when we go to different lands and places. So that poem was published in one of the online magazines, Peralta, Dr. Peralta, who curates and is in charge of the Lunar Codex, saw the poem and agreed that he would include it. Now, it's wonderful because he recognized the food and the different types of dishes I was mentioning, and he could understand the immigrant loneliness and experience. And also, he was selecting works from all over the world. So I had the opportunity to represent Singapore and Canada and have my wonderful immigrant homesickness food Singapore poem included as well. Obviously, you're a master of words. And in fact, in the article, and it's the, it's, I think it's the pull quote that I, I was just staring at. And you said, Toastmasters is a bold, big, beautiful bridge for me. It gave me the literal, symbolic, and metaphorical voice to be heard. There's so much embedded in those few words and those that pair of triads. Can you unpack it for us? Absolutely. So when I talked about coming to Calgary as a new 
student many, many years ago, I was afraid. I talked about how I tried to fit in. Then when I got into Toastmasters and started speaking and enjoying who I was, I, I, I wasn't going to change my accent. It is who I am. I wasn't going to change my word choice. I have that Singaporeanness and Canadianness that makes me unique for me. So I decided to embrace both. And I decided that obviously my stories were not the Canadian stories of growing up in the prairies. It was about Singapore and being a newcomer and then establishing myself. So then the bridge got stronger and firmer for me. And I realized that my stories have value because there are many others like me who are wondering, do I sound different? Do I have a right to share my stories? Do people care about arranged marriages, about mother-in-laws, about being lonely, alone on Christmas Day in Canada because you don't celebrate Christmas? By doing that for me and me listening to other people's stories, I realized the beauty of, of our stories and our voices. When I was in Vancouver listening to stories from all over the world, the bridge just got longer, more elaborate, more interesting, and more exciting. Every story had something that connected all of us as human beings. Love, loss, joy, pain, sorrow. And then that became the important element of that bridge, that we were not different. We were just bridging our differences through our stories and through Toastmasters and through these speeches. And then, you know, that gave me more confidence and more excitement to simply continue. Well, Greg and I were chatting before the interview as we were doing some prep and we were we both were commenting on how all of the quotes from you in this article are like the one Greg just read, so beautiful and so packed with meaning. And it, it didn't hit me until this conversation that, oh, of course, that's because she's a poet. <laughs> and that's that's what you're doing. I mean, far be it from me to lecture you on poetry, Kelly. But I think one of the things that poetry does is it packs so much, so much feeling experience into few words and makes it come alive. Uh, so it's it's just a joy. As, as Greg was saying to me, he said, I, I would love to read her her fiction. And I totally agree. Uh, just reading sentences from you is a joy. I can't imagine diving into a larger work. Thank you. And what is significant or interesting about that is I did not pursue the poetry, the fiction, the nonfiction. Luckily, I did so in my Toastmasters speeches. During COVID, COVID were my bountiful years. I did so much. Within 2020 to 2023, I had over 70 to 100 poems, stories, nonfiction published around the world. I don't know why I waited so long, but again, it comes from that lack of confidence, that questioning, the wondering. So I really, really appreciate hearing the encouragement that you gave me. And I think oh, after this, maybe I should write another one because it's something that you have to keep doing 
if it sparks joy. And sometimes I step back because you have that questioning, you know, is my speech for Toastmasters good enough? Am I going to win? Will my poem be accepted? Is my story relevant? And I think that's all comes together in writing and writing speeches and writing creative works that one must have the courage to succeed and to fail. One of the promises of Toastmasters is to find your voice. And I just a comment for our listeners here. It may not be poetry and fiction or nonfiction writing for you, but there is the opportunity here to discover your voice and to have this same experience that Kelly's had of realizing your stories do matter. Your voice does matter and deserves to be heard. And as we see from Kelly here today, the world is richer because of it. And not only the world, the moon. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the moon forever. Yeah, and make sure you share your stories and your poems with your fellow Toastmasters. Get evaluated, get credit, get feedback. And who knows, the universe may be yours one day. <laughs> That's true. I think you have to try and, and never give up. And every time you get rejected, it means the next time you have an opportunity to be accepted. It's a 50-50 chance, so why not take it? Kelly, tell us a little bit about your book, Letters from Singapore. It's a curious title. Yes, Letters to Singapore. So when I got accepted into the program, I had a mentor, Aretha Van Herk, who is an established Canadian writer. And my first instinct was to run away because I really didn't have a game plan for anything except saying I have all these wonderful Toastmaster speeches. So the night before, I had to brainstorm with my daughter again. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. Then I realized, why don't I just write letters back and forth? It sounded like a fabulous idea. I mentioned it at the interview. I mentioned it to Aretha Van Herk, and she said, fabulous. I would like you to send me 20 pages every two weeks. Then I knew I was in serious trouble because now I had to come up with this novel. And I said, what do I do? And she said, just write the first letter. And I did that. And because I was so overwhelmed with gratitude, excitement, and the possibility of fulfilling my bucket list, I sent those letters and I wrote this novel in 100 days what I couldn't do in a hundred months because I didn't have the confidence. I just kept writing and sending them to her. She was all over the world and she would say, yes, this is good. Keep on. And I said, I'm done. She said, no, you have 200 pages more to go. And, and every time I, I thought I was done, she would say, no, now I need you to come up with a scene where you put all the characters together. And so the premise became a student who comes from Singapore goes to the University of Calgary and writes letters home to her mother, her sister, her Chinese friend, and her South Indian friend. And in those letters, these women exchange their lives, their hopes, their dreams, their ups and downs. In a most amazing way, my letters meshed together and unfolded into my first novel letters to Singapore. And I am grateful. Wow. 
Well, the premise you're talking about, it sounds like, is this somewhat autobiographical by chance? Everyone insists that it's my life. And what I did is I wrote what I knew about Calgary in 1985, the Olympics and Electric Avenue and the mountains and going down to Kensington for coffee at the Rose Tree. So those events were definitely stolen from my own life. But the stories about the character Simran, her mother, her sister, and her two friends were mostly fiction. And this is where I myself, who did have not written a novel, learned about the creative powers of writing stories. Because in Toastmasters, the stories were true. Now I realize I could come up and do anything I wanted. And as I started writing, they got more exciting and more elaborate. And then I was really concerned because I knew people would say, this is you. They still do. They insist it's me. <laughs> and I said, let me tell you, my own story was more challenging. I can't even write about this. This novel is a combination of 90% fiction and 10% some parts real. I let people decide what they want to decide because as an English major, you know, when a writer writes and the reader reads the novel, the reader interacts with the novel in his or her own way and creates whatever reality they want. So I'm learning to accept that and not challenge or fight with my readers anymore and just say, thank you for reading my novel. <laughs> All of the stories are true. And some of it actually happened. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I said, if you buy me a martini or two, I might tell you more. <laughs> this is so funny because what we're talking about right now leads perfectly into another quote or another portion of the article where, Kelly, you describe yourself as an immigrant woman with a different accent and strange stories. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How so are they strange? Well, in 2017, when I was in Vancouver, and I listened to people's stories, I was just gobsmacked. Incredible stories, right? I remember the story of the Canadian man who said he was in prison for a long time. And then you have, as you say, the grandmother stories. Everyone's stories from their survival to cancer to illness, I realized how different they were and different from mine. Some people obviously have not gone through arranged marriages or don't understand it the way I have seen it, witnessed it, felt it, and experienced it. So I knew many of my Canadian friends during my Toastmaster speeches would come up to me and said, oh, how do you cope with this? How do you do this? How could this happen to you? And I thought, okay, you know, I do have strange stories because I'm exploring the concept of freedom which in the East, in some parts, and in my family, was not the topic that was available to me. And then when I came to Canada, you could do whatever you want, and nobody would question you. The strange stories evolved from the idea of freedom, independence, and moving out of the space you were brought up in and born, and coming to a new place. So very different from, let's say, my Calgary friends, whose stories were about being free and making their choices. 
So that's why I call them strange stories, because I always chuckle when people say, what do you mean? You couldn't make your own choices. You couldn't choose what you want. Why can't you just do it? And I said, well, you got to wait for my next speech. Well, Kelly, it's interesting because you seem so confident today, the way that you speak and express yourself. And yet, as the quote from Greg alluded to, and you say more explicitly in the article, uh, you were worried that you would not fit in today. Do you do you still feel that way? Do you still feel like you're not sure you fit in? Or have you, to use one of your metaphors, crossed that bridge? Absolutely not. I just walk up and down that bridge, remembering all my table topics experience, and I use them all the time. And in using them, even now when I'm talking to you, I'm using gestures and voice. They all just come back to me from all that sessions that I attended and the meetings. So they've become part and parcel of my life. And they've improved my teaching. When I teach now, I stop and I look at students and I look them in the eye and I nod at them. When I meet strangers, I know how to ask questions. And during my Letters to Singapore launch, I even went all the way to Bali to launch my book. I was able to handle all those questions and online interviews on CBC with the practice of my table topics experience, intro, body, conclusion, wait, listen. And I'm so grateful that it was second nature to me and for me. That has made a difference in my life. So I'm able to establish my confidence and to speak and say anything I want. And sometimes people say, do, do you know everyone in Calgary? I'm like, no, I just <laughs> like talking to people. And they go, Okay. And you almost didn't make it into Toastmasters. Apparently, it had something to do with food, I heard. Yes. <laughs> My friend Deborah came over and she said, let's go. And I said, no, I really don't want to go. I, I, I'm a university lecturer. What, what is there to learn? I, I talk all the time. And she said, it's free food. And I said, see you at seven. So I'm <laughs> grateful that she dragged me out to that wonderful first meeting. And having had that experience, what one thing might stand out to say, this is what I really learned from Toastmasters. This is one of my biggest takeaways. The biggest takeaway for me for being in Toastmasters is that it gave me a voice. I always mention how many of us stay silent or are afraid to speak up or do not have the confidence to articulate who we are or what we want to say. And I feel now as someone who is better able to express myself that once I speak up and I know what to say and how to say it, I come alive, right? I take that dimension inside of me and I can stand up for who I am, for what I am and what I believe in. And Toastmasters has given me this permission, authority, experience to say, hey, I've got something to say and you're going to listen to me and hear me and I want to listen to you and hear you as well. So that is very powerful. When a person speaks up, that's what Toastmasters can give you and it certainly gave me power of voice. Wow. 
How elegantly said, Kelly. If you found this episode somewhat out of this world, as I have, folks, I encourage you to share this episode with your friends and family and also fellow Toastmasters. You can find the Toastmasters podcast at toastmasterspodcast.com, toastmasters.org, Google, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcasts. Ryan? And Kelly, before we let you get on with your day, I'd love to ask, what is the best place for listeners to learn more about you, find your works, your books? Do you have a a hub online that you can direct people to? Definitely. So people can find me on LinkedIn and also on my website, www.kellycore.com. I teach at Mount Royal University. They can also find me through that medium as well. That's Core, K-A-U-R, and we'll make sure that we put all links in the show notes. Kelly Core, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure to hear your story and hear you tell it in your own words, in your own voice. It is a powerful voice, so thanks for sharing it. Thank you very much for letting me speak, share, connect. And I have to say, besides this wonderful voice, Toastmasters has the most incredible people on earth. And many of them are my friends, and I'm so grateful for that. Ever imagined a book written just for you? Introducing Books.ai. We're not just another bookstore. We're the future of reading. Our state-of-the-art AI adapts each book to your specific needs, creating a personalized masterpiece. Visit Pooks.ai now, that's P-O-O-K-S dot A-I, and use the promotion code SPOTIFY for a whopping 50% off. Pooks.ai, your personalized book awaits.